truths that, that nothing can compare to the greatness of knowing you. God, help us to trust you fully with every, every corner of our lives. God, help us to be desperate to know you more. Help us to do that now through your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it to Proverbs chapter 25. Uh, and if you don't have one, we've got some under the chairs. We'll be on page 547 uh, in those black Bibles that are under the chairs. We're continuing our series in biblical wisdom, uh, mostly going through Proverbs called Grow Up. And the vision of this series is that we all need to learn. We all need to grow in wisdom. And that growing in wisdom is not uh, something just for old people, but it's something children need, something old people need, something middle-aged people need. We, we need to learn from God. There's this uh, verse that we've quoted again and again, and both in Proverbs 14 and 16, that says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And we have a tendency to wander, to veer off course, and we need God's corrective wisdom to show us where to go. Um, we're learning in Proverbs about different aspects of life that touches on a lot of different issues, and the issue I want to talk about today is what men need. I want to talk about the idea of masculinity. What does it mean to be a man? And I think specifically, as I mentioned during our time in confession earlier, I think our, our culture struggles with one extreme or another. Um, cultures tend to either see men be abusive or absent. And those are really the twin sins of manhood. And so when men are abusive... Uh, there's the feminist corrective of telling men to sit on the sideline and elevating women and telling women to lead because men are abusive. So women need to lead, and that is the solution often offered in a feminist framework. Uh, then there's the kind of traditionalist patriarchal framework that says, well, men are absent, so they need to take charge and rule, uh, and sometimes that can lead towards abusiveness. The scriptures articulate a position that I would call complementarianism. And so what the Bible says is that Men and women are equal before God. Galatians 3.23 makes this clear. Before God, we are all equal. But God actually has differing roles for men and women. God calls men to lead in the church. God calls men to lead in the home. But that leadership should be a sacrificial, loving leadership. As we follow Christ, it should be framed with love. And so the biblical balance is not either extreme of, of abuse or being absent. Right? Those are the two extremes. The biblical balance is servant leadership. God calls men to be servant leaders. What I'd like us to do is read from Proverbs 25, which centers uh, what we need in the, the concept of glory. Proverbs 25, verse 27, reflects something that really we see in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. Proverbs 25, 27 says, It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. There's this irony there, right? Proverbs is taking something we can learn from everyday life. Uh, honey is sweet, but if you eat too much, you're going to throw up, right? And uh, it's saying the same thing with your own glory. It's, it's good to have glory, but if you seek your own glory, in the end, it's not glorious. God designed us as human beings to reflect his glory. In Genesis 1, it says very clear that mankind was created, both man and woman, but mankind was created to reflect the image of God. That is our job. We are to give glory to him. The word in Hebrew is kabod, and it's this word that means weighty, right? 
And I've tried to draw that in as we think about what it means to grow up. Again, growing up is not just being old and stodgy. Growing up is having a weight and a substance to you. And that is that Hebrew word glory. God calls us to uh, reflect his glory. In our weightiness, we would show how weighty and how awesome he is. And so centering it there, the, the ancient catechisms used to say the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our central job is to show how good God is. And that kind of centers what it means to be a man. A lot of the things I'm going to be talking about today aren't going to be something that only men should do and women shouldn't, right? But what the scriptures teach is that men are representative and that there's a burden that we carry as leaders. And so I'm going to be talking about that burden and that weight, uh, that glory that we need to carry as we give glory to God. Um, it's interesting. Science has proven that men and women are actually different. I don't know if you all have ever discovered that. But biologically, there are differences between men and women. A fascinating book, uh, one of the books I have up here is a book called um, Bringing Up Boys. And it talks about just some of the basic differences that testosterone make in a boy. I mean, forget about puberty when boys start to develop muscles. But even back in the womb, testosterone bathes the brain and actually melts part of the human brain in boys. There, there are actually less connections from one half of the brain to the other. Um, I'm totally serious. Y'all like, for real? The women are like, I kind of thought that, but <laughs> seriously. You know, men are, and again, these things are, uh, they change from person to person, right? We all have different personalities. Um, I'm sure it burns our brains in different degrees, right? Different boys. But, uh, but there's this basic difference where women have more connections. A lot of people say that's why you have this thing. We, we talk about women's intuition. They actually have more uh, simultaneous processing going on at the same time, whereas men seem to be more segmented, more compartmentalized. So there are some just fascinating differences between uh, men and women that we see biologically. We see it in culture. Another interesting thing that you see is that men generally lead in every culture in the world. And I read one feminist author who had done some work uh, with some tribes in Africa that was arguing that that doesn't really hold up because in the, the pygmy tribe in Africa, um, the women are the leaders. And, and I thought, well, that, that's interesting because that, that tribe is, is known for being a suppressed uh, tribe among the other tribes in Africa. Those are uh, generally a shorter people and they're slaves to other tribes. And so the one instance of a tribe where women seem to lead um, is, a, is a tribe that, it, that interestingly is in a position of, of servitude to other tribes. And so we, we just see some kind of broad things over human culture, over biology, where men are called to lead. Now, obviously, there's boundaries, and men aren't called to abuse, right? But men are called to be servant leaders. And so I'm going to pray and ask God to teach us, what does that look like? How do we carry that burden of leadership um, for you as sisters, mothers, uh, wives? What does it look like to encourage that in the men in your life? So let's pray. God, we pray that you would teach us today what it means to reflect your glory. Help us to understand uh, what men need so that we wouldn't commit the the error of, of abuse in a dominating way or of absence where we just sit out on the sidelines. We pray that you would teach us and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This really kind of worked out really nicely for me uh, for for an illustration. Just the last couple of weeks, I've been borrowing Chris's truck, our our worship leader. He's loaned me his truck and uh, my car was getting worked on and so I was borrowing his truck. And uh, how many of y'all drive a truck currently or you've driven a truck before? Any of you driven a truck? There's this interesting phenomenon. It just feels different than a car, right? There's this uh, front-weighted thing when the truck is empty. 
where the, the back of the truck just kind of feels like it's floating around, you know, and it doesn't feel real straight sometimes. And uh, his front tires were a little bald, so that might have been part of it as well. But uh, we went and we, we picked up some free mulch. It was in our neighborhood. So in our neighborhood, they were cutting down some trees, and there's these piles of mulch, and we wanted some for our yard. And so we went and loaded it up, and I could really feel the difference then. When the back of the truck was loaded up, it just felt like it wasn't wandering around on the road anymore. It was, it was driving straighter. And I thought this was really incredible because I'd heard that as an illustration before for manhood, that, that a man is like a truck and he's going to drive straighter if he has a load. I don't know if you've ever heard that uh, proverb, you know, modern proverb that, that's made up there, uh, but we need a burden. And I'm afraid what's often happened in, in our culture in reaction to the abuses of patriarchal culture, I believe we're living in a time where we've swung to the other side to the abuses of feminized culture where we suppress manhood, where we're, we're trying so hard to elevate women to, to right the abuses that, that are true abuses that have happened in other cultures. We're trying so hard to right that, that, that now we're swinging to the other side. And men are often being told to sit out. Men are told to sit on the sideline so that women can lead. And so what I, what I feel like we need is a vision for what it means for men to lead, again, not in an abusive way, not in a domineering way, but to lead as servant leaders and to carry this mantle and to load our trucks, so to speak, to, to carry the burden of manhood. What does that look like? And that's my prayer for, for our community, for our culture, for my own son. How, how do we develop that? How do we learn what that looks like? And I think Scripture gives us a lot of different indicators um, one of the reasons that I, I think this is a problem is just when you look at how boys and girls are handled uh, in public school or private school, any school, um, you see that schools are generally run by the ladies, right? And, and so boys are taught at an early age that there's something wrong with them, right? Because the average girl kind of likes to sit still more than the average boy. Again, these, these are averages. I know that, that the dust, this doesn't play out. I told the early service... Um, you know, men are generally stronger than women. I know there's a couple of you that could kick my butt, but, but most of you women, I'm stronger than, right? You know, most women, uh, men are stronger than women, you know, so there are these averages. And um, so it's not always true. It's not, you know, it's true every single time, but there's this general concept that men are stronger than women. And there's this general concept that little boys are wigglier than little girls, right? And if you have kids, it's not always true, but it's generally true. And so boys are taught at an early age, there's something wrong with you. Why do you always want to get up? Why do you always want to jump up and down? Why do you always want to squeeze things and break things and push things and pull things, right? And, uh, and we're taught, you know, as I was married for several years before I realized that little girls don't like having their ponytails pulled. Did y'all know that? I was just like, really? Like, I thought they liked that. That's every little boy thinks that a girl wants her ponytail pulled. But, but these kids are taught this at an early age. One time when I was with my son on a field trip, um, we were outdoors. It was this outdoor exploration field trip at a park. He had a big rock and he threw it and the teacher turned on him like he'd done some horrible thing. And I'm supposed to be a chaperone telling the kids what to do. And it just didn't occur to me that that was bad, right? I mean, it, as a man, it just wouldn't occur to me that you're not supposed to throw big rocks when you're outside. But to his female teacher, that was, that was a scary bad thing. And she was just shocked that he would, he would do such a thing. And I kind of sheepishly said, Oh, don't throw the rocks, buddy. You know, just, I guess that's bad. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Another time I was at school picking him up after school, and I think I was talking to one of my daughters or another student. And so my son, while waiting for us to have our conversation, decides to climb the tree right there in front of the school. 
And again, apparently, that's against the rules, right? This teacher just pounced on him and started yelling at him like he was a fool for climbing a tree. And apparently, they were supposed to know they're not supposed to climb trees. And she was just shocked and appalled that that he would do this. And I just share those two examples. They they were confirming to me that that my boy is not really understood in the same way uh, in the school system uh, that maybe my daughters were. And he may be taught to feel ashamed for that energy and that drive that, that's kind of naturally there. And it's not always bad. I mean, I, for one, think it's okay to climb trees and, and throw rocks. I don't, I don't know about you. Um, I apologize to those of you that are teachers. Maybe maybe that's a bigger problem than I, than I realized. But, but I say all these things to just lay out that there, there are differences, right? We, we are different. Boys are different than girls. That's uh, not universal, uh, but general. It's not, you know, it's not in every situation, but generally boys are different than girls. And there's a unique calling. Again, I would frame it as leadership, but servant leadership, sacrificial leadership, loving leadership, gentle leadership. And so the first thing I think that we need to recognize that men need is a kingdom. Uh, Men need a kingdom. And moms, I think this will help you understand your little boy. Your little boy needs a kingdom, right? Now, he needs to understand that he serves under the greater authority of the queen mother, but he still has a little kingdom, right? And you grow him in, in the use and in the, the leadership of that kingdom. I have a picture here of a, of a king, so you can envision this. Um, I think it's important that you see your, your husband, that you see your little boys as kings and future kings, right? We may have varying size kingdoms, but we need a kingdom. We have to have a place to rule and reign. Flip over to Proverbs 20. It's just a few pages behind where we started. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 28 is on page 543, and it roots this kingdom concept, again, in God's grace, right? We, we don't want to go to the extreme of abusive patriarchal cultures. We're not Muslims where we want to treat women as cattle, but we still want to understand that, that men are designed to have a kingdom. They are designed to rule and to reign, and it's, it's rooted in Proverbs in God's grace. It says in 2028, steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king. And by steadfast love, his throne is upheld. So again, we have to understand Proverbs always roots these things um, in God and his love and his grace. We talked about that word chesed, right? It's this beautiful Hebrew word that means grace or mercy. It's translated as steadfast love, God's faithfulness. Human kings don't rule well without that grace, right? But But what we've often done as a culture is we've said, all right, these human kings aren't ruling well, so let's take all kingdom and power from them. And as parents, we often do that with little boys, right? He's destroying things, so we just need to put him in the corner. And sometimes that's necessary, right? We were talking about parenting last week. Children need to be disciplined. They need to be trained. But you need to give them a positive place uh, to use those things that they have. You need to channel that energy of little boys. You need to give them a kingdom to rule and reign. You need to train them what that looks like to lead well in that little place where you've set them up to govern. You've got to give them something to do. Don't just always tell them what not to do. You've got to give them something to do. Does that make sense? You've got to give them a place to run. Genesis 1 sets this up. I'm not going to have you turn there because of time, and I think you've probably heard this. It's such a classic text, but in Genesis 1, 26-28, it says that um, God set us up to have dominion, right? You remember those, those famous verses when He created mankind? He set them to rule and reign and have dominion over the earth. That's another word for kingdom, right? That was our job. 
Starting off, we're made in his image to reflect his image, and he is the ruler. He's the ultimate king of the universe. And Proverbs roots that and says, by having a relationship by grace through steadfast love with the ultimate king of the universe, then we rule and reign in our little kingdoms. So we all need to have a place to lead. We're all kingdoms. We're, I mean, we're all kings. And the question is, are you a good king or a bad king? Right? Are, are you men? Are you ruling and reigning as a good king or a bad king? A lot of you are in the military and you may think, well, I'm at the bottom of the totem pole, right? I'm, at the, I'm the very smallest on this scale. But you still have an area of responsibility and you are to rule that well. You are to do that with excellence and to execute justice and to be a servant leader who gives of yourself to rule and to reign in the area that you've been given and to do that with excellence. That's the question. We're, we're all kings. We're all leaders over something. Are you going to be a good king or a bad king? And then the question for moms and wives that I would ask is, do you acknowledge that with both the little boys and the big husbands in your life, right? Do you see that as proper and good? Are you setting them up for success? Are you encouraging them to lead? Are you saying, I want you to lead me? Are you even walking through that? Are you doing role play with your little boys, giving them opportunities to be chivalrous, training them to hold the door for you, training them to serve, training them to, to take charge and have initiative in a way that is, that is beautiful and points to this kind of servant leadership that God calls us to. We, we need to give our, our little boys those opportunities, but we also need to give your husbands those opportunities. A, a great question I would ask you wives is when your husband comes home, does he feel like a king or does he feel dethroned and out of place? I mean, really, what, how, how does he feel? Does he feel like someone who leads when he comes home? And that's a, that's, a trouble, that's a trouble spot for a lot of marriages because what happens is husband feels like a ruler and a leader at work oftentimes, but at home, mm-mm, no, this is not your kingdom, right? And so wives, you have to understand that in the New Testament, wives are never commanded to love their husbands. But we're commanded, wives are commanded to respect and honor their husbands. So what does that look like? Does your husband feel respected? Does he feel like a king? Again, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about being a doormat. I'm talking about setting him up for success, building him up, helping him to lead well. What, what does that look like in the home? That's the question. Jesus says that ultimately it's servant leadership. Says, whoever wants to become greatest among you must be your servant. So, men, that's the path. Ladies, how can you set your boys up for leadership? How can you set your husbands up for leadership? Men, it's servant leadership. The best way, men, for you to understand what it means to be a king is to understand Jesus, the king who laid down his life for his friends. That's what kingdom looks like. The next thing I want us to understand is that men need a garden. Men need a garden, and we find this in Genesis as well. In Genesis, it says in chapter 2, when it kind of focuses in, that they are put in the garden to work it and to take care of it. So men understand that our role originally was to take paradise and preserve and grow and spread that. That is our job as human beings, to image what God is like, to rule and reign in our little kingdoms, and to take paradise and to spread it and to help it to blossom and to take it to new Places. That's what we're called to. Proverbs says it this way. Flip over to Proverbs 12. We all are to be gardeners, farmers, ranchers. We are all to help things to grow, right? 
We're to be husbandmen. The ancient meaning of that term is to help animals to grow, right? To breed and help things to multiply. We are to help things to grow and flourish. Proverbs 12, 10, and 11 says this. It's on page 536. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10 and 11. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. There's a vision there of a man who cares for his land and cares for his animals. And that's what we're supposed to look like as men. We're supposed to be caregivers. As men, a lot of times we get excited about the idea of being a king, but we may be less excited about helping things grow, right? God, God calls us to help things to grow, to help things to flourish. My, my favorite picture of this, of the love of the beast, is in Babe. And I've, I've used this a million times, so if you've been at the church for a while, you've heard this before. Uh, but the, the movie Babe, it's about the pig that wants to be a sheepdog, right? Anybody seen Babe? If you haven't seen it, you need to rush out and, and rent it. Um, <laughs> But it's a great movie, and so this pig, at one point in the movie, is sick, and he's laying listless on the couch inside the farmer's house, and uh, the farmer starts singing to him to help him to feel better. And you got to know, too, the setup in the movie is the farmer is very kind of stiff and stoic and non-expressive. He would, he would always say his, his great compliment would be, that'll do, pig, right? I mean, he just, he's, not real, he's not a real gifted man with words, but... He cares for his beast. So he starts singing to him, and he's singing this Irish jig, and he starts dancing around the living room trying to cheer up the beast. And by the end of the scene, all the other farm animals are like looking in the window in disbelief, right? They can't believe what's happening as they see the farmer dance and sing to his pig. I think that's a beautiful picture of what God is like for us. Zephaniah 3.17 says he delights in us and he sings over us. He's mighty to save. He's strong. He's a king, but he loves us and he delights in us and he sings over us. It's a beautiful picture of what God is like and it's a picture of what we are to be like. We're to care for the life that God has given us leadership over. We're to help things to grow and to blossom. That's not just the purview of our wives. You know, we go and we rule and reign. We bring home the bacon, but they care for the kids and they do all the soft and tender things. No, we are to be tender. We are to help the plants grow, help the beasts grow, help the kids, you might call them beasts as well, help them to grow, right? We're to foster and, and help things to blossom. And husbands, you're to help your wife to blossom. You're to help her to be all that God has called her to be, to pour into her life. I think one of the, the greatest ways that this happens, I've got a picture here of the pig. There he is. There's Babe when he won the sheep. Sheep uh, dog contest. Sorry, I just spoiled the movie for you. Um, but one of the ways that I think this takes place in the Christian world uh, is with our words, right? So, so jump from physically helping animals to grow, helping crops to grow. Let's, let's move into metaphorical uh, world now. The way that we help people to grow is through our words. Proverbs has a ton to say about that. If you read through Proverbs, you'll see that's one of the greatest themes. And again, Proverbs is directed specifically to young men, right? It's addressed to young men. Women have much to learn, but young men as the federal representatives of the culture are given these instructions, right? And these instructions are said again and again that you should use your words well. Colossians in the New Testament talks about us letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly 
so that we can speak and admonish one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. So there's this concept that we are to take in the good word of God, his blessing, and speak encouraging words to other people. The, the problem is that that doesn't really come naturally for us, right? I mean, one of the things, like we talked about the, the brain being melted, you know, one of the things that, that men statistically are not as good at is speaking. I mean, if you're married, generally, again, it's not true in every relationship, but generally your wife's going to just be better with words than you. She's going to ask you how you feel, and you're going to say, fine. You're going to ask her how she feels, and she'll have more to say, right? And, and, and men are just generally not statistically not as expressive as, as women are. And, and so, again, there, there may be some of you that are, that are very gifted, um, and I'm, I'm a public speaker, so I, I recognize, you know, I, I, I speak, it comes more easily to me because it's practiced and learned, and I speak more than the average man. But every man is called to reverse the sin of Adam. Adam didn't speak. A, a great book I have up here is called The Silence of Adam by Dr. Larry Crabb. You know, when Eve was being tempted by the serpent in the garden, it's very clear in the Hebrew text that Adam was standing there silent the whole time. He didn't say anything. He could have said something. But men, if you're like me, you've, you've replayed that in your life. I know I have. I've just sat there and not said anything. I've sat there afraid to speak up. When I knew I should have said something, I, I just kept my tongue and I didn't speak. Guys, part of our burden so to speak, if, if we're going to be that truck that drives straight because we have a weight, part of our burden is to start speaking up, is to start speaking in encouraging ways, uh, helping other people with our speech, that our speech would be sweet and it would help things to grow and help things to blossom. Flip over to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16 gives a little bit of an example of this. Right before one of the verses about how there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. It's talking about speech, how we should use our speech. Verses 21 through 24. So Proverbs 16, it's on page 539. Verse 21, the wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. So man, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be a king, if you want to help things to grow, you're going to learn to use your words more effectively. It says in verse 22, good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs again and again, this is just one little section where it talks about it in a few verses, but again and again encourages us to use our words to build others up, right? As Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but that which is helpful for edifying or for building others up according to the need of the moment. We're called on to use our words to build other people up. And men, again, statistically, the odds are stacked against you, right? There's a part of you that's going to go, well, she's the talker, so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut because I don't want to look stupid. And I want to encourage you, growing in wisdom is learning to use your words. And I would say if you're married, one of the ways you can do that is by leaning on your wife. She can help you, but you need to step up and begin speaking. You need to learn to speak encouraging words into her life, blessing her, right? I mean, one of the basic things if you're married, men, is tell your wife you love her, okay? You've heard the, the old saying about the, the guy that said, well, I told her I loved her on the day we got married. Why would I need to tell her again, you know? Things haven't changed. Well, she wants to hear it, okay? You need to tell her that you love her. You need to tell her that she's beautiful. You need to speak into her life. 
and he's speaking to your children's lives as well. And again, going back to the kingdom thing, yeah, your, your wife is the queen, and she rules, and she knows those kids. If she's at home, she knows better than you what's going on, so, so lean on her, but ask her for opportunities. Hey, what would it look like for me to speak more into the kids' lives? How could I do that? Help me to do that more effectively. One of the best ways to do that is just reading to your kids. There's been all kinds of studies that have been done just education-wise on what a difference it makes in your kids' lives when the parents read to them and what a difference it makes when the fathers read to them because reading shouldn't be seen as just something that women do. And again, man, I understand they're generally better than you, right? So you want to let them do it, but you need to step up and you need to begin doing that in your kids' lives. We, we talked last week about these these Bibles that you can read at home, these children's Bibles, read these to the kids. Um, one of the things that men struggle with is we want to be respected. So not only do we have the odds stacked against us statistically and being not as, as good language-wise, not as good readers, not as good speakers, but also we have a higher need for respect often than our wives do. I think that's why in the New Testament it, it tells our wives to respect us because we need it. It's what we thrive on. And so when you have a little three-year-old that refuses to listen to you, when you think you're reading something fascinating, but they're completely bored with you, that's really hard, right? So that's hard for you, men. And I, again, just tell you to lean on your wives. Your wives can help you with that. And, and you can read in short bursts, and you can speak in small bursts, but begin to, begin to form those habits with your kids. Begin to read to them. Begin to speak to them. Don't, don't just lean on your wife to be the one that always speaks. Don't lean on your wife to be the one that always corrects, but you need to step in and do it as well. The last thing I think we need to understand is that men need a cape. Men need a cape. And I have a, in case you don't know what that means, I've got a picture here. Um, a picture of Superman with his flowing cape. Men need to be a hero. And again, this is another area where you see that Adam failed, but Jesus succeeded. It's real clear this, this concept of of federal headship is a theological term that, that kind of describes in general the role that men are supposed to play. But specifically in Romans 5, it talks about how we are all under the headship of either Adam or Jesus. We're all in the tribe of Adam or in the tribe of Jesus. Adam was the tribe who, who stood back. He, he should have cut the serpent's head off, but he didn't. And things went really badly. Jesus is the one who stepped in and crushed the serpent. He's the one that stepped up and was the hero that we should be. And so even though we've all failed to be that hero at multiple times in our lives, we have this opportunity for redemption through Jesus. We can be in the tribe of Jesus. By faith, we can trust in him to be our hero. You see, Superman's a fun story, but Superman never really has to sacrifice anything. What's awesome about Jesus is the bullets don't just bounce off of his chest, but he took the bullets for us. He rose from the dead. He conquered death, but he was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for us. That's what it means to be a hero. And so again, our leadership, our role, our masculinity should be embedded in and led by Jesus, the sacrificial leader, the servant leader. That's what leadership should look like. We want to be a hero like him. Flip over to Proverbs 24. I read this, was this last week or the week before. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12 It's on page 546. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12 says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this. 
Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Proverbs says very clearly that it's our role to be a hero. We are to step up in those difficult situations. One of the things that, uh, one of the brilliant things that we can learn from Spider-Man is that with great power comes great responsibility. We've seen the, the old one, not the new one that just came out, but the old one. Maybe they said it in the new one too, I haven't seen it. But in the old one, Uncle Ben, the adopted father of, of Peter Parker, tells him, Peter, with great power comes great responsibility. So God has, God has made men, on average, stronger than most of the women in their life. God's given us these strengths. God's given us these gifts. And they're given to us uh, to carry the burden of responsibility, to, to lay ourselves down to help others, to be sacrificial leaders, to show a, a valor where we use our strength to hold other people, to help other people. I think one of the ways that uh, we hurt ourselves in this area as parents is we often insulate our children from the brokenness and pain and neediness of the world. And so I'd recommend parents, if you're the average middle-class family that doesn't want your children to grow up with all the sin and brokenness that you had, you're going to have this tendency to want to isolate them, right? You, you need to, in controlled and sensitive ways, expose them to the brokenness and the neediness of the world and show them where their strength can help other people's weakness. Give them opportunities to serve where people are needy and hurting and broken. Again, you know, your, your kids are kids, and you want to expose them to that in, in slow ways, in measured ways, but you need to give them opportunities to take risks and to serve other people. You need to begin training them to be heroes, training them to use their strength to help the weak. Well, I want to conclude by looking at the concept that Proverbs has just all over it um, that we need to learn. This whole series is is grow up. We need to listen and learn from biblical wisdom. In in chapter 1, verse 5, it said, both the simple and the wise have a lot to learn. So if you're old and experienced, if, if you've been around the block, you still have a lot to learn. If you're young and new and you don't know much, you have a lot to learn. Proverbs says we all have a lot to learn, that there's something wrong with us. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death, and we need to stop and listen. If we want to know what to do with the strengths and the gifts we've been given, we need to listen. If we pay attention, God will teach us. He will give us wisdom. And he'll enable you to take your strength, whether it's just muscles or whether it's a gift of accounting or whether it's a gift of organization or it's a gift of teaching or it's a gift of mercy. He'll take your strengths and he'll enable you to be a hero with those strengths. He'll enable you to take those strengths and use them to help other people if you will listen to him. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 11. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's this interesting uh, survey that was done. I think it came out of a National Geographic article, but something I, I read, again, in the Dobson book, Bringing Up Boys. He talked about how had, they had this problem on an elephant preserve where these young elephant males kept attacking and goring these other animals. Elephants, rhinoceroses, other animals, they were being overly aggressive. And what they realized is to control the population, they'd been killing off the older elephants. And what happened was as the older elephants were left there to lead, 
and to be a model and an example for the younger male elephants, they knew what to do. They, they started uh, acting the way they were supposed to act. And again, the, the burden is how are we going to lead in such a way that the boys in our lives will understand what it looks like to learn from Jesus, to listen to his voice, to be transformed, to grow up into wisdom. That, that's the goal. And that's what's offered before us by Jesus. Listen to him. Take his yoke upon you. Let him teach you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you invite us to follow you. And we thank you that even though we've failed, even though we've been a part of the tribe of of Adam, we haven't spoken up, we haven't led the way that we should, we haven't rescued when we needed to that you righted all of that, that you lived perfectly in our place and you died a sacrificial death, took our sins upon you. God, help us by faith to receive the righteousness of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd love to answer any questions you have. I have several other um, just resources up here, a lot of books about masculinity, femininity, um, some books on manhood that I want to mention to you. Uh, Bringing Up Boys that I already mentioned in The Silence of Adam by Larry Crabb. And then there's some other classics that are good. Tender Warrior uh, by Stu Weber. Point Man by Steve Farrar. And The Life of a God-Made Man by Dan Doriani. Um, Moms, if you're looking for a good one to read, Bringing Up Boys is probably the one that's most specifically to moms and dads. These other are written more to men. And then there's a couple other men's books that have great insights. The theology, I think, is, is slightly weak with John Eldridge, but he has a lot of really good insights that are helpful. So a couple of his books I would recommend as well. Take it with a grain of salt. And then these other thicker books have really good theology. So you can kind of balance these together here. Um, these are God, Marriage, and the Family by Andreas Kostenberger, and then Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood by Piper and Grudem. Um, and then the children's Bibles as well. So just wanted to give you some things to look through up here. If you have any questions, I'd love to answer any questions you have or, or meet you if you're new. Um, God bless you. You may be dismissed. Thank you.